from over the internet and into your MP3 player. This is That Gay Podcast. Thank you, Ben. Welcome to That Gay Podcast for the week ending Friday, the 13th of May, 2013. Are you boys superstitious? It's 2016 and no. Did I say 2013? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, it's good to see you back here. Where have you been lately, my friend? Well, officially a month-long sex romp. Unofficially, I've just been busy. I, I like the official version better, and I actually want to hear more about the official version. Uh, it's it's a lie. Oh. I did go to another Pants Off Dance Off, which was exciting as always. That's becoming quickly my favorite event in Portland. It's so fun. It coincided with the very last uh, rugby game of the spring season, mm-hmm. so a lot of my uh, rugby guys went, and we uh, danced the night away in our skivvies. It was good, good fun. And uh, how did the rugby team do this year? Uh, well, it was, um, for our first-time listeners, it was our very first season. We're um, Portland's newest and only inclusive rugby team, which is awesome. We're the Lumberjacks. Look us up. Um, so, as a result, most of the team had never played before. So, what I'm getting at is we did not do well. <laughs> but it was really fun. It was probably the best thing I've done since I moved to Portland. About, uh, I think about nine months ago, I moved out here. And... Made amazing friends, had amazing times. Uh, like my social circle is now like mostly rugby guys, which that you could have worse friends for sure. Oh, that's pretty awesome, and they can beat up anybody who comes your way. Yeah, you have a good support group. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of good support, uh, Jeremy's joining us. Jeremy, howdy, how are you tonight, sir? I'm all right. Uh, good deal. We're talking about vets issues this week. Um, Jeremy, you have uh, your background in this. So uh, go ahead and if you can tell us a little bit about your background. Shortest version is uh, I joined the Navy in 1996 out of high school and, uh, as a somewhat openly gay man and ended up back in the closet, of course, under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And then uh, in after about 10 years of that, in 2007, uh, I came out to my commanding officer and uh, was promptly discharged from the Navy. Got involved with a little bit of activism here and there. And when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was uh, repealed in uh, two steps in 2010 and 2011, uh, I signed back up as a reservist, and I've been serving as a reservist since then. So um, what was it like um, coming out the first time? In the military? In the the military, yeah. Because when you say coming out as a gay man, you should know. Coming out, you got it. Never, pick, it pick it never ends. It never ends. Yeah, coming right, out right. never really ends. Coming out on paper to to the Navy officially was, uh, I think, quite possibly one of the scariest things I've ever done, um, for a number of reasons. What was the so when you when you came out? What did you? I'm just kind of curious about this because I, I when I was 18, I was very close to joining the military as a very 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 closeted gay man. Did you walk into a room with one with like your commanding officer? Did you write a notes? Like what what is this process like? Let me preface this by saying that LGBT people have been serving in US military since its inception. And the people who have come out or or been kicked out have all had very different reasons, but there have also been plenty of people who have served full long uh, careers and, and retired. And so I had gotten to a point I was struggling with uh, uh, mental health issues, including depression and, and uh, mental fatigue and ex- exhaustion. I think that was the trigger. And it was, uh, I was actually on duty. It was probably around 11, 1130 at night. And uh, I began putting words on paper, things that I had been ruminating about for three or four years, put together an entire paper package in a nice regular 
manila envelope, walked up to my commanding officer's uh, temporary stateroom. I slipped that manila envelope under his door after circling in front of it for about 10 or 15 minutes. A few hours later, everybody was required to be up, and he told uh, his morning meeting of chiefs and officers that he needed to see me. I went up and went into his office and um, was... Uh, I'm not quite sh- sure what, what his thought process was, but he said he had read it uh, and, and sorry that I was going through what I was going through or, or felt the way I did and that things would change if I would just be willing to um, to wait and hold on. I think part of it was he didn't want to see me throw my career away. And, you know, at that point, we were at least two years out. And so, despite his offer to forget that I had submitted that paperwork because at that point he was the only one who had seen it um, I, I pushed forward so part of what made all that so scary was that I had zero plan for what was going to happen next I hadn't made phone calls or thought about it on paper or you know determined where I was going to live or how I was going to get a job or where money was going to come from and for 10 years I had been institutionalized in the military <laughs> in in you know, a way that I knew where every meal was coming from and every paycheck was coming from and uh, didn't have to question what I was going to be doing from day to day. It was all there in front of me. It was all routine. I I didn't even have to choose what clothes to wear. I mean, it was, you know, very, very um, forgiving in a lot of ways. um, So when you ask that question, it it was intense. It was scary. I guess, uh, what was it like after... Um, what was the what happened after that moment? Honestly, um, you know, you're talking about something that's been nine years ago, and actually, I'm in the middle of what I call what, what I consider my anniversary period. I mean, I came out in March, and my my final days uh, in the Navy were in May. Um, is, it, is it something you look back on fondly, or still with like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that? It's it's a very complex answer, and and you know the, the the simplest way I can put it is that it was unintentionally one of the best things that I ever did because of that experience. Uh, embracing it in some ways, uh, it opened a lot of doors, and I met a lot of people, and I networked, and uh, it got me into LGBT activism in ways that I had probably never considered or or would have. I, I think had the opportunity to do. I, I don't even know where to begin. It is a complex, it, just the experience, telling my story to people and using that as an avenue to try to help the people who were still in uniform. Uh, I was able to speak up in a way that I wasn't before, because I was no longer in uniform and no longer bound by the rules of the, the federal government. So, um, had, since I'd lived it. Yeah, and there was a lot of there were a lot of people who were who were doing that, and, and it began to grow. So fast forwarding, you said you you reenlisted after you were out after Don't Ask Don't Tell was was um, dropped. And uh, forgive me, Naval Reserve, you said, or is another yeah, branch? No, okay, there was Navy, Navy, Navy Reserve. Navy Reserve. Um, did you notice anything like tangibly different besides the fact that you? Reenlisted as a as an out gay man was was there a, t- a noticeable difference in, in attitude or was it pretty much the same experience except you weren't you know lying about who you were day to day? 
there are things that I can talk about and there are things that are gradually through people who are still serving and who are open on active duty. They've been able to bring issues to the forefront that, that weren't able to be brought up before, which is things like the, the health of LGBT people. That's been a huge one, a huge thing to, to address is giving people access to prep or talking about uh, their exposure risk to HIV in general and, and the decisions that they're making. This has been a, a, a slow coming process and there are things that I've brought up when we have these sessions because they were not things that I would have necessarily pushed for before but it was important now. So even though I'm in reserve and we're, we're still doing that training I always make sure that you know if it doesn't get the kind of attention it deserves that I bring it up uh, and that's not something that I would have felt comfortable doing necessarily on active duty. Jeff, who's normally with us and uh, is away this week, uh, had brought in a couple questions for us, and one of them was uh, about, uh, he said they heard hey, about the stories about hazing from uh, veterans. Is there is that something that's getting better, or is it something that still goes on quite a bit in the uh, military these days? Well, I mean, officially, there is, hazing is not allowed in the military. And they do have definitions of hazing. And I think the main difference when you're talking about an environment like the military between hazing and what some people call tradition is tradition should not be harmful. And hazing tends to be, uh, tends to be harmful to the people who are being hazed. But a lot of that culture is, is changing over time. And, and part of it is because once you remove the ban on talking about things like sex between two men, then the conversation about what's wrong, what's right, can can be had. Is it easier for an for a gay man or a you know a gay woman to walk in and just sign up these days? The experience is going to be different for everyone. The difference between now and before Don't Ask Don't Tell is that it ma- it, it, it mattered under don't ask don't tell now it doesn't matter whether the recruiter asks or not they don't have to answer and it doesn't it doesn't matter if they do and it, w- it won't affect you one way or the other they can't discriminate against them so and there are now policies in place uh to you know when they first repealed it equal opportunity uh uh rules did not inc- include sexual orientation and that has now changed so i mean it's it's you know, even that, there's progress that has been made even since repeal happened, uh, you know, with regards to policies um, affecting families. You know, they, when repeal initially happened, they didn't have benefits signed up, and now that's happened, and they didn't, you know, military, uh, LGBT military families did not have ID cards. Now that's happens. Um, what's next? What 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 do you think needs to be done next? Well, the immediate concern for for active duty folks is trying to make sure that the doors are opened for uh, people in uniform who are transgender to be able to serve openly without being discharged because they were not part of Don't Ask Don't Tell's repeal, <clears throat> and they were not targeted by Don't Ask Don't Tell unless they identified as lesbian. Uh, gay or bisexual. So I think people are a little more aware of it now, but when it was first repealed, I don't think that people were aware of it. There was a lot of assumption that LGBT was what, you know, the 
to rule against LGBT was all four letters. From a veteran point of view, there are still generations of veterans who may have trouble accessing their benefits because they were discharged under less than honorable or uh, dishonorable uh, discharges based on the fact that they were LGBT. And getting them to come forward and do the paperwork and go through that process so they have access to their benefits is difficult when they still feel the shame or the stigma of that. There have been a few stories of older veterans, some even going back to World War II, who have gone through the process. But, you know, that that needs to happen. And the other thing is there are people whose health has been affected long-term because of what they went through. You know, they were in the closet twice. They were not just closeted in civilian society, but also in the military and uh, getting out of the military for that reason, you know, left a scar. So I think that, that getting mental help uh, for a lot of these folks and the, and the, the VA making the process easier and seeking out these people and, and helping them is, is also critical. Is, um, is there a way to reverse the, any dishonorable discharges that were issued because of don't ask, don't tell? Is that something that's being worked on? Well, there's a bill that's stalled uh, called the Restore Honor Act. I don't have all the, the ultimate deal, details on it, but it, the purpose of it, my understanding, is to make it easier uh, for discharges to happen. And to and it, it might be a blanket reversal. I can't. I don't have the actual language in front of me. But yeah, it's been brought up, and people are aware of the need to make that happen. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, your story, this has been phenomenal. Thank you very much for uh, your time and your service. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for talking to us. (laughs) So RuPaul, oh wait, that wasn't on this week, was it? No. No, but Brian... Really unfortunate. Brian, I don't think we we hadn't, since you've been on your uh, month-long sex romp, we didn't get a chance to get your take on the finalists from this season. Um, I knew Kimchi and Bob were going to be finalists. Like, I knew that probably, I, I probably knew that from episode one. They were immediate standouts. Naomi Smalls, on the other hand, surprised me. It's it's honestly surprising that she has made it to the finals. However, that said, she has made so much progress in the last couple weeks that I think she totally deserves it, if only because of her goddamn legs. <laughs> that girl's legs are out of this world, and I get serious leg envy like watching her dance. Um, that said, I'm, I'm pleased. Um, I, I think in hindsight, I wish... Um, Acid Betty or Thorgy Thor had been in her place, but I'm not disappointed with the lineup at all. I think they're all very talented. All right, so let's get right to weekly obsessions. Uh, I have one squared away, but I want to start with Troy because I'm feeling very accusational. Ooh, well, um, a couple weeks ago, um, Chris was talking about a song by Mike Posner called I Dropped a Pill in Ibiza. Is that right? I took a pill in a I piece. took the took a pill. Well, it's the same damn thing. <laughs> but um, so Jamie Cullum, who's a uh, jazz artist that I absolutely love, um, he did a cover of this song, and he did it in an unusual way. He did it as part of what he's calling his Song Society series, where basically he and a group of musicians take a song, and they have an hour to practice it and learn it and all that stuff, and then 
record it with no preparation or anything like that. I just love it because it's nice. I mean, the, other, the the real song is a little, you know, more up tempo and stuff. But this yeah. one's a little more chill, a little more. I like it. The original version of the song before the uh, remix was actually pretty chill, like this too. But um, and there's another one here, and I haven't heard this, so this may be good or bad. Uh, where he does uptown funk the same way. Yeah, so that's my obsession for the week. Uh, Jamie Cullum with um, some really awesome covers there. Uh, Brian, what is your obsession this week? Uh, mine is also along the music lines. Um, people who know me well know I'm a big Radiohead fan. Yes, I'm one of those. Oh, boy. Uh, they released a new album on Sunday called A Moon-Shaped Pool. It's their first album since, I believe, 2011? Yeah, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a very, very rabid fan base that you. I feel like they're one of those bands that it always surprises people to learn they have such an incredible fan base, but they really do. They released two singles like the days leading up to the surprise release on Sunday, and in a, just a matter of hours had millions of views on their YouTube pages. Um, so I am obsessed with um, the first single they released from it. It's called Burn the Witch. And they released it uh, with its music video, which is all in, like, stop-motion claymation style. And it's it's sort of like... Um, they, they take ideas from The Wicker Man... That's kind of the story they're telling in the song. Oh yeah, but um, but it's kind of told in like kind of happy claymation, but it's a really dark story. They they have they're, they're known for this really sort of like like almost scary, anxiety inducing sound, which I kind of enjoy in a sick way. <laughs> um, the whole album I've listened to a couple times already. It's really good. <laughs> That's my obsession. But I and I've got to say, uh, going back to Jamie Cullum, he did a cover of High and Dry, not. Uh, a few years ago Fantastic that I really love. Song. Love oh. that song. Uh, Matt, what are you obsessed with this week? So I'm going to follow up with a, another song. Uh, this uh, Boston duo, they're called Time Flies. Uh, they came out with a song back in March uh, called Once in a While, and it's kind of this cool pop, uh, hip-hop, EDM type of song. But once in a while I feel like ooh, I just want to dance you know, I think I heard this song um, somewhere a couple days ago, and I loved it. It's it's a good summer jam. It's a very yeah. good summer jam. All right, well, we want to thank Jeremy for coming on and sharing his story with us. And, um, boys, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, do you want to do this again next week? I suppose. <laughs> we, we, should, we, should, we should tease the next week. We'll be doing a full, uh, to my knowledge, a full RuPaul Drag Race finale episode where we'll do a lot of talking. I'm sure it'll be a lot of Chris and Jeff. So bring your Chris and Jeff hats. Yes. Hashtag Team Chris. Hashtag Team Jeff. It, are we G-off. talking? <laughs> team Geoff. So we get the spelling right. Oh, yeah. Um, and we got some other fun surprises next week as well. So we'll see y'all for that. Until then, take care. Bye. Bye. This is Ben Patrick Johnson for That Gay Podcast, a presentation of Attuned Productions.